Hey, Crimes Out listeners, we just want to give you an extra content warning because this episode does contain explicit language, including profanity and offensive terms. If you are sensitive to strong language or uncomfortable with graphic content, we recommend you skip this episode or proceed with caution. We strive to present the facts of each case accurately and respectfully, but the subject matter of true crime can, on occasion, be graphic in detail and include coarse language. Please prioritize your mental health and well-being while listening. All right, let's jump into the episode. Um, my boyfriend and I were playing last night, and mm-hmm. I put him in his case when we were playing. And okay. Like kind of hide-and-seek kind of thing. So I fell asleep, and I woke up, and he was dead in the suitcase. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Well, okay, what's your apartment number? Three. Apartment three? Yes, yeah, like he has, like, blood coming out of his mouth, and I don't know if, like, he had, like, an aneurysm on like, what happened. Right, okay, all right, okay. Listen, we're getting help out there, too. All right, okay. Okay, I... I now? Okay, 40... Yeah, man, listen, we're on our way out there. You're at 407-716-8684. Okay, is he hanging from somewhere or what, ma'am? No, I pulled him out of the suitcase. I tried giving him CPR. Out of the... Okay. So he's, uh, he was in a suitcase? Yes, and I fell asleep. Okay, how old is the... How old 42. is the boyfriend, ma'am? 42-year-old man. All right. Okay, we're we're sending we're sending help out there. Sheriff's not standing way out there. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. All right. Listen to me. Okay. That uh, I just need I just need to confirm this. All right. I I just need to confirm this. Is he is he awake at all? Is he conscious at all? No. He's purple. Right. Is he breathing? No. All right. I need you to get I need you to get him on the floor, flatten his back for me. Okay. I did. I did. I tried giving him CPR. All right. I tried giving him CPR. Yeah, okay. Well, we're, we're, but nothing happened. He's purple. Right. Okay, listen to me. There's a defibrillator, but I need you to get it for me, okay? What is it? Do you have an AED available? No. All right. Do you write by him now? I'm sorry? You Are you right by him now? Yes. Okay, okay. Lay him flat on his... Okay, ma'am, 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 listen. Uh, so, listen, is he cold and stiff? Yes. Okay. Well, he's okay. not necessarily cold, but he's stiff. And he's right, purple. okay. All right, listen to me. I, uh, listen, listen to me. I want you to lay him flat on his back for me on I the did. floor. I did. Removing the pillows. Okay. Yes, I did. All right. Okay. We're, He's stiff and purple. Right. Okay. Listen. Okay, man. That's fine. We're, we're still going to do compressions on him. Okay. All right. Place the heel of your hand on his breastbone, right in the center of the chest, right between the nipples. Yes. Put your other hand on top of that hand. Baby, I'm telling you. Just by okay. looking at him, you can tell. Okay. Ah! And- Please. Okay. He just gurgled. February 24th, 2020, Sarah Boone called 911 from her home in Winter Park, Florida, and reported that her live-in boyfriend, George Torres, had become trapped inside a suitcase and was not breathing. The dispatcher urged her to perform CPR, but Sarah claimed that she wasn't able to do so. 
Finally, when she agreed to perform chest compressions, she was shocked when she heard a gurgle come from his body. Despite the belated efforts, when the police arrived, they found George dead. Now, at first, Sarah Boone's story seemed plausible, and she was understandably distraught. However, as the investigation progressed, the police began to uncover inconsistencies and strange behavior on her part. The evidence suggested that George's death was not an accident at all and fell under a category of second-degree murder called depraved indifference. During Sarah's initial interview with the police, she claimed that she and George had shared a bottle of wine and played hide-and-seek while he climbed into the suitcase and asked her to zip it up. And that sounds more like a game where you would hide your own Easter eggs. In what universe do you help the person you're supposed to be seeking to hide? And also, in what universe do 42-year-old adults play hide-and-seek? Well, according to Sarah, after helping to, quote, hide George in the suitcase, she became bored with the game. She went upstairs and waited for him to get himself out and join her. She told officers that she decided to let him squirm around for a little bit as a joke. After about 30 minutes of waiting, she fell asleep. The next morning, she realized he hadn't come to bed, and that is when she discovered him still trapped in the suitcase and unresponsive. And by morning, we mean the early afternoon because that 911 call didn't come in until about 1 p.m. Right away, there were glaring differences in her story compared to the witness statements and the evidence. The inconsistencies began almost immediately piling up when her ex-husband gave his statement. His interview, which was caught on a body cam, tells a different story. He says that he called his ex-wife several times that morning around 11 o'clock a.m., and each time she declined his calls. According to Brian, with whom she shared a son, she was a chronic alcoholic and would often forget to pick up their son. He was calling her that morning to remind her that Lucas had been dropped off at school and to make sure that Sarah would remember to pick him up that day. Eventually, Sarah did go downstairs and found George still trapped inside that suitcase. But 911 wasn't her first call. Her first call was to her ex-husband. It was Brian who arrived and insisted she called 911. A few minutes later, Sarah placed her own call to 911. There were other statements given by neighbors, the property manager, and even the groundskeeper who all reported the couple were hardcore alcoholics who drank from sun up to sundown. This is something that initially Sarah denied during the many hours of her police interrogations. She described their night as light and filled with fun and games. It was only when she thought being intoxicated might help her that she admitted that she and George drank two bottles of wine. That admission only came after the police confronted her with the receipt for those two bottles purchased earlier in the day. Both bottles were later found by forensics. They were both empty and in the trash. But it will be a video found on her phone that will break this case wide open and show her malice of mind. As emergency services were taking away George's body, Sarah had her first interview with the uniformed officers. 
She told them that she had been dating George for three and a half years, and that evening, the two had casually shared one bottle of wine. She said that they were having a great night, putting puzzles together, doing artwork together, and finally playing hide-and-seek. It sounds more like a night of activities you would share with a toddler rather than a 40-year-old adult. Sarah explained that George had recently gone through a domestic violence prevention program, and she was just trying to be supportive by keeping him busy with activities. But police couldn't understand why she waited until 1 p.m. the next day to call 911. In a very dramatic fashion, she explained she had woken up earlier and intentionally declined her ex-husband's calls. It was only while scrolling through her phone, she remembered that she last saw George in the suitcase. She insisted that she let him out of the suitcase and immediately began CPR. This is unlikely because when she started CPR during the phone call with the 911 operator, she was startled when his body made a gurgling sound. Police knew that Sarah was lying. A dead body can make a gurgling noise when someone performs CPR because air or fluid may have accumulated in the person's airway or lungs. Police know that this isn't a sign of life, rather, it's simply a result of air being pushed through the accumulated fluid. However, it proved that Sarah felt the need to lie about this to responding officers. She began crying and speculated that he may have died from a heart attack, a stroke, or blood clot since he had recently lost weight and appeared unhealthy. Per the autopsy report, at the time of death, George was 5'4 and 140 pounds. She complained that his teeth had recently begun falling out, and she was convinced it was a medical event unrelated to the fact that he was left trapped inside a suitcase for 12 hours, or the fact that she forgot the most important part of hide-and-seek, which is the seeking part. Now, after Brian's initial interview with the uniformed officers, he was interviewed a second time at the scene by detectives. This is a tactic to interview witnesses about the same series of events more than once to find lies or inconsistencies. Brian was patient and cooperative with the detectives and again explained that it was supposed to be Sarah's day to have their son, Lucas. He told the responding officers that he began calling around 11 a.m. and continued calling every third minute until 12.49 p.m., That is when Sarah finally answered the phone and explained that George was dead and she needed his help. When he arrived, he insisted that she call 911 immediately. Instead, she went outside, stating that she needed a drink and a cigarette. Once she had her drink and cigarette, he insisted again that she call 911. He never saw her render aid to George and believed George had been dead for a long time. Brian also shared that both of them had been arrested for domestic violence against each other. He believed that George had been arrested at least five times for domestic violence and was currently on parole for their most recent incident. He told officers that every time she insisted that George is arrested, she was always trying to get him released the next day. He believed they had a volatile, codependent, and toxic relationship. When homicide detectives showed up, Sarah gave them permission to search the residence and take all other electronic devices. 
Whether she was cooperative or not, they would have seized all those devices anyway after obtaining a warrant. She encouraged the detectives to pay special attention to her phone as she believed that there were photos and video evidence that would paint her as a victim of domestic violence. What she didn't know was that she was so drunk the evening prior that she had forgotten all about the videos she took of George trapped in the suitcase. Those videos were the smoking gun that told a very different story. Detectives were shocked after watching all of these videos. One of the videos was almost 11 minutes in length when George begged to be let out of the suitcase. Sarah. For everything you've done to me. Sarah. For everything you've done to me. Sarah. Fuck you. Sarah. Fuck you. Sarah. (laughs) Stupid. Sarah. That's my name. Don't wear it up. Sarah. I can't fucking breathe, babe. Seriously. Yeah, that's when you do when you choke me. Sarah. 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 Sarah, I can't breathe, babe. That's on you. Sarah, I can't breathe. <laughs> it's on you. Sarah. Reel around some. Might want to get a video for it extra. Because <laughs> I got this. Sarah. Reel around Sarah. some. Sarah, I can't, I can't breathe, babe. Oh, that's what Sarah. I feel like when you chewing on me. Sarah, I Fuck can't you. fucking breathe, Sarah. Yeah. You should probably shut the fuck up. Sarah. In the remainder of the video, she taunted him and told him she was glad that he couldn't breathe. She told him there were many times that he cheated on her that she felt like she couldn't breathe either. Later, she clarified to detectives that his cheating occurred on his phone and not in real life. It was one of the reasons why they shared a phone. Once police saw the video, they asked her to come down to the station the next day for a more in-depth interview. Earlier in the day, the coroner noted some interesting findings during George's autopsy. The findings were backed by what they were told by the neighbors and the apartment manager. The manager told a story about how early into Sarah's residency, she came into the management office with bruises and asked how to remove George from the lease. Of course, the manager was sympathetic and gave her options, but soon she noticed that there were just as many bruises on George as there were on Sarah. The manager said the two often fought, and she believed that some of the bruises on Sarah were a result of bruises she obtained from George defending himself. 
George himself told the manager that Sarah often physically assaulted him. And this was corroborated by other witnesses too. She also noticed that the couple was usually drunk from morning until evening. She noted that she believed that George had been arrested multiple times for domestic violence, while Sarah was arrested only once for domestic violence. She noted that the couple were in a toxic and dysfunctional relationship that neither of them wanted to leave. Sarah and George had a pattern of getting drunk, fighting, and Sarah calling the police. According to Sarah's statements, George's family hated her and called her the blue-eyed devil. They thought she alienated George from his family and controlled his ability to communicate with them. Sarah and George shared a cell phone. However, only Sarah had the password. George had to ask for permission to use the phone to call his children or his brother. When Sarah was asked about George's bruises during her second police interview, she acted surprised but then came up with an explanation. George had scratches on his neck and back and contusions on his lips and shoulders and forehead. Sarah casually explained that George was clumsy and he would often walk into walls. She also recalled him falling off her nine-year-old son's bike. The police weren't buying her explanation as all of these injuries were fresh without hours of death. That's when she offered up the story that she may have scratched him during sex. Okay, but... That wouldn't explain all the bruises to his face, head, and back. Sarah insisted that the two weren't drunk. They had a quiet evening of crafts and shared a bottle of wine. She told detectives while George likes to drink to the point of passing out, she prefers to be in control of her faculties. She said she hates to be intoxicated. She can't be intoxicated, and she adamantly stated that she wasn't intoxicated. Of course, we know the story will change later in the interview when it becomes more convenient to be drunk. That's when she went from saying that they had the best day and were getting along great to George being a violent and terrible alcoholic. But she stayed because she was convinced that she could help him with his problems. I really love him. Like, I do. And I feel like I can help him. Like, I feel... Like, I could help him, which I did, because he's come a really, he came a really long way from where he was in Philadelphia to moving back to here and to dealing with everything else that he's been dealing with. Mm -hmm. I've really helped him. I've bailed him out of jail, what, three times. I've gone to every single hearing and every single arraignment, everything that I did for him. Gone to see all his public defenders, go to the state. I've gone to the state. I, I did everything for him because I'm trying to help him because I have, I had hope in him. And he was trying. He was really trying. Just, and then he starts to think about things, and it just, I think he gets overwhelmed. And then it's like, the next thing I know, he's drinking. So it's like, oh, man, I know where this is going to go, so I'm going to go upstairs and read a book, or I'm going to go for a bike ride, or I'm going to do something else. Or I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. The occasional wine, whatever, or if it's a weekend, that's when you, you have a good time. You don't have to wake up the next day. I have to wake up the next day and do things. I have to tend to Lucas. I have to take him to school. I have all this stuff to do. He doesn't know how to, I guess, maintain himself where I can do 50 things at once and still know the 50 things more previously, prior than I need to get done. He can't process like that. He didn't process like that. So it, he would literally, not literally, but had smoke coming out of his ears. 
So the next thing you know, he doesn't want to deal with it. I'm going to go You have probably noticed she adds a lot of unnecessary detail and information. This is something she does throughout the entire interrogation. It's beyond nervous chatter. When a person is being interrogated by police for a criminal investigation, adding in answers with a lot of useless and meaningless detail can be a tactic used by the person being questioned. This tactic is commonly referred to as over-inclusiveness or verbose denials. The purpose of this tactic is to overwhelm the interrogator with a flood of information in hopes that the important details gets lost in the noise. By providing a large amount of information, the person being questioned may also hope to confuse or mislead the interrogator. After the police showed her the video on her phone of George begging for his life, she was shocked to learn that they didn't see her as a victim. They played a second portion of a video they also found on her phone where George can be heard begging and pleading for his life. In the second video, they hear a large thud and they accuse Sarah of pushing the suitcase down the steps with George inside. She admitted to this, forgetting it contradicted her earlier statement that the suitcase was broken and already downstairs in a donation pile. In another video, the suitcase is shown upside down which would have put extra pressure on George's heart and his lungs and made it virtually impossible for him to breathe or escape. Of course, this is a line of questioning she doesn't want to discuss, so instead, she tried distracting the investigators with more useless information, like talking about George's ex-wife, describing her as bonkers and a monster, for constantly asking him for money to support his children. And at this time of the incident, neither Sarah or George were working. They were both actively seeking employment, which had to be difficult when you're both allegedly drunk from sunup to sundown. Eventually, Sarah did admit to turning the suitcase over, but she said it was because she wanted to make it easier for him to escape. She insisted there was a two-inch gap where all he had to do was insert his fingers and open the suitcase. And that's something that the police denied existed, and this angered Sarah. Reality didn't matter. Facts didn't matter. And evidence didn't matter. Sarah said there were two inches, and she wasn't going to listen to arguments otherwise. She became extremely angry and belligerent in the interview, accusing the detectives of wanting to manufacture evidence when it was her who was manufacturing facts that didn't exist. Hi, this is Daniel Roof, the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown. The postseason and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information, up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series and through the World Series. Don't forget, Bet Online is where you have the latest game odds, present totals for the NFL and college football, plus real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. Serious up betting on football. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at Bet Online, where the game starts. Introducing Carvana Value Tracker, where you can track your car's value over time and learn what's driving it. 
It might make you excited. Whoa, didn't know my car was valued this high. It might make you nervous. Uh-oh, market's flooded. My car's value just dipped 2.3%. It might make you optimistic. Our low mileage is paying off. Our value's up. And it might make you realistic. Mm, car prices haven't gone up in a couple weeks. Maybe it's time to sell. But it will definitely make you an expert on your car's value. Carvana Value Tracker. Visit Carvana.com to start tracking your car's value today. Throughout the interview, Sarah's mood swings were erratic. One minute, she was screaming, and the next, she was crying because she missed George and didn't get any sleep. Again, she offered details that had nothing to do with the events of the day George died. Instead, she began telling the detectives how wonderful and perfect she was. Each time they tried to get back to the subject of George's death, she would dominate the conversation with unnecessary information. She told them that Georgia's probation officer loved her and called her once for 42 minutes to lavish praise on her for helping George get to and from his mandatory domestic violence intervention classes. Each time she tried to change the subject, they brought it back to that night in question, which was something that she wanted to avoid. Eventually, she had to come up with an explanation as to why she refused to open the suitcase. I get told everything but a white woman, so... Okay. I, my intention was not to leave him in there. Please understand that. My intention was not to leave him in there. But you went upstairs thinking yeah. that he could get himself yes. out, but the video shows That's at what no I told point you. when I see his fingers. He'll and be up here any minute. And then 30 minutes later, he didn't show. And he's telling and you. And I he can't, can't wake up. He, do you he's think he's joking? To you told me he was laughing, and I... We were, before. The video, there's, there's no laughing. When we first got in there, both of us were. So how long was he in there for? Like, this video is at 11.12 when it starts, so was he in there for, like, a long time prior to no. recording this? No. No. So it goes from funny to no longer funny, but I you're the only one laughing. But I didn't think that he was, like, panicky. Like, I didn't... I. So pushing up on a suitcase saying, Sarah, 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 I can't breathe. breathe. George has done that in the past before, too, where it's just like he thinks that he's, woe is me kind of thing, where it's like, I don't He's never been locked in a suitcase, so no, he couldn't get out, so. It's kind of, I thought it was the the oxygen crawling wolf, crying wolf kind of thing. Okay. And again, my plan. But But nowhere in there is he laughing, is he joking, he is begging. And you're the only one laughing. Okay. And you're the only one saying derogatory comments. Like you're mad. No. Please don't, I don't mean to sound negative, and I don't know if I can say this, but, <coughs> like, it's like you guys are kind of trying to, like, feed me. Like, no, I'm just trying to show you a video that you no longer want to watch because you probably don't want to know the outcome of how and what you said. Well, I know what... You know, you know what's on that video now? No. You remember making that video? No. Oh. Why don't you remember making the video? Probably because we had been drinking. But you weren't drunk. No. Just because I went upstairs and... Just you because you're us, drunk doesn't you mean that you... times that you were not drunk. You said that you had your wits <coughs> about you. You said he had his wits about you. Mm-hmm. You said that you don't like not having your wits. In my experience, if somebody cannot remember doing something to the extent of making two videos and a video and taking a photo, they are intoxicated. Okay. I understand where you all are coming from. Well, we're I just get trying it. to make sense of it. We're trying I get to it. Make it. Right. We're trying to make it.
Again, Sarah stumbled on her own lies. Now that it was convenient to be drunk, she changed her story. Sarah finally admitted to being intoxicated. She was so intoxicated, she forgot about taking a video of George begging her to be let out of the suitcase. The videos were shocking and depicted her callous disregard for his life. Sarah explained it was not her intent to go upstairs and fall asleep, despite going upstairs and falling asleep. These statements of denial were something that detectives were not going to let go unchallenged. The detectives explained that Sarah's intent didn't matter when the result was George's death. The detectives wouldn't let her talk her way out of responsibility due to her alleged intent. Yet she insisted her plan wasn't to leave him in the suitcase, which is a hard argument to make when there is plain video evidence of her refusing to let him out of the suitcase. When asked why she didn't check on him, she explained that away with her level of intoxication. Hey, I wasn't intoxicated. I wasn't this. I wasn't that. Being drunk and intoxicated, which... Yeah, okay. she could tell that I had been drinking, but... Okay. So if you weren't intoxicated, then why would you ever leave somebody in a suitcase I, that's begging to get out, that's telling you they can't if breathe? If I weren't, if I hadn't been drinking, you... You still think it would be the same thing? Where it's like, hop in, uh, I'm going to go to sleep. Is that what you all are trying to do? To portray me trying as? to do anything. I'm simply asking you to explain to me what happened. Everything was fine <coughs> and dandy. I don't call it fine and dandy. Was fine and dandy. Explain you all don't... Okay, for, for me to tell you this, again... Mind you, I've been without him for a day now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't know what you all want me to tell you because this was not in any way, shape, or form. Hand okay. on the Bible, intentional. Okay. So you just left I him there to teach him. I didn't kill him. You left him there to teach him a lesson? I didn't mean to leave him there. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You got up and walked away. How is that not intentionally leaving him there? Because I'm looking at the hole knowing that it's, a, it's there. He'll get out no harm. Because you don't... And then he doesn't. But then the, you don't go check on him. You say you're up for 30 minutes and he doesn't come up. You don't go down and check on him? I'm in the bed. You even move... And so I mean, off. You move... You admit to moving the suitcase, like, over. So... Roll it. You roll it up like it's not like I didn't want him to be like that. Don't you didn't want him to be upside down? How do you even get upside down? Right. You guys are killing me right now. I just want While Sarah continued to deny responsibility, the detectives played the video of George begging for his life begging to be let out of the suitcase and telling Sarah that he couldn't breathe. When they asked why she didn't call 911 when she first found him, she explained she didn't know what to do because she didn't know how horrific it was, nor did she want to get in trouble. Originally, she confided in her ex-husband that George had died and begged him to come over to help her. Detectives speculated that she may have thought her ex-husband would help her dispose of George's body so she could escape responsibility. 
This was something that she adamantly denied. However, it doesn't explain why her ex-husband had to force her to finally call 911. Sarah insisted that she thought George's continuous cries for help were just, quote, crying wolf. This didn't make sense. The phrase crying wolf is used to describe a situation where someone warns of danger or a problem, but they have done it so many times in the past without any real cause for concern to the point that it's hard to believe them, even if the danger is real. Well, this made zero sense to detectives since Sarah had told them this was the first time she had ever zipped him up in a suitcase. Again. Okay. So when he asked to be let out, like what's your reasoning for not letting him out? When I was upstairs? No, when he's asking on the video. He asked multiple times. He asked to be let out. I can't breathe. What, like, why didn't you let him out? Well, number one, I, number one, I had no idea it was going to end like that. Okay. Number one. Okay. Uh, number two, just, you know what? I'll give you five minutes or so in there. That's, they'll give you five minutes or so. Five minutes for what? Well, based off the video, one video is at 11.12 and the next one's at 11.23, so you actually gave him at least 11 minutes per video recording. So my, my thing is, when it stopped, he asked multiple times, I mean, why? Why did you not let him out? It's just a simple I, question. To be honest with you, I, I mean, I don't Were you punishing him? No. <laughs> just well, that's what you're saying in the video. Um, this is what you get. This is oh. what... You make me feel like... See, and then it's all backfired on me. Like, it's all backfired on me. And I understand the severity of this. I just... You're dead. It's awful, I know. Okay. It's awful. And I will tell you both this right now, too. I will never drink alcohol again. Okay. Like, I will never drink alcohol again. I don't care what it is in any way, shape, or form. Okay. I am... But let's get back to this. What was... The reason for leaving him when he's begging to be let out. I don't understand that. What I have a feeling was, and again, it's the whole time frame thing. You all I, I, I'm not asking a time frame. I don't care about a time frame. So he's in the bag saying, I, I can't. And I, my God. And you say, fuck you. When he, so, like, for, like, the whole few minutes that he was in there, like, I. Minimum 11. But, yes. Well, go ahead. It's a few. 11. Minimum. For one video. Well, in between the two videos. Between the two videos? Okay. Yeah. So, so what's the question again? When he's begging for his life, telling you he can't <laughs> breathe, let me out, and you say, fuck you, why don't you just let him out? What are you trying I to prove to him? There was obviously I, something in your head that you were thinking of when he was asking to let you, be let out, and you're like, no, Again, it's no. the boy calling wolf. Okay, but where does where's this game end? I don't you say this is a game. She sounds lovely, doesn't she? Her voice, her words, her demeanor, and her body language all lacked remorse or responsibility. What you can't hear is when she gives the detectives a stern look as if she wants them to stop talking, or when she rolls her eyes at them for daring to point out her actions. Now, what's interesting is detectives asked Sarah about her endgame. Since this was allegedly a game of hide-and-seek, they wanted to know when the game was going to be over and why she taunted him instead of, quote, finding him. 
These are all logical questions to which she had no answers. She told the detectives that their line of questioning wasn't fair to her. Her responses were nothing short of ridiculous. She believed that the fact she lost her boyfriend should be punishment enough. At one point, she even cried that the entire interrogation was unfair to her. As the interview began to wind down, her biggest concern was if she was going to get her phone and laptop back that day. Her other biggest concern was how she could get his engagement ring from his body. When she was told it would be given to his family, she explained, well, she purchased it for him. Learning she wouldn't get this ring back caused her to pivot to her safety. She wanted to know what the investigators were going to tell George's family. Then she dramatically explained her life was going to be in danger and that they would try to kill her. She wanted to know how the police planned to protect her from George's family. And they had a simple answer. They were going to arrest her. As Sarah was arrested and charged with second-degree murder, she insisted that George's death was the result of an accident. She repeatedly told officers that she didn't have any intent to harm him, as if that would absolve her responsibility. While in jail, you'll be surprised to learn that she has been combative, uncooperative, and fired several rounds of attorneys. She has written to the judge repeatedly complaining of her treatment behind bars or the incompetence of her legal team. So it was a surprise to learn that her new legal team is going to assert the battered woman syndrome defense. It's a legal strategy used in cases where a woman is accused of a crime, such as a murder, that was committed in response to long-term abuse and violence by her partner. This defense is based on the idea that a woman who has experienced prolonged physical, emotional, and psychological abuse may not have the ability to make rational decisions or to understand the consequences of her actions at the time of the crime. It's often used when the perpetrator wasn't in immediate danger, but the cumulative years of abuse still placed in her brain in a flight-or-flight mentality. This will be hard to prove after hours of interrogation audio where she insisted they were getting along after a night filled with toddler activities. It will be an especially difficult defense given all the eyewitness testimony that Sarah was often the abusive partner. Her trial is set for later this summer in July of 2023. And that completes this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And before we jump off here, we have two new patrons this week. We want to welcome Ruby and Karen. Thank you both so much for becoming patrons. Thank you all for listening to Crime Salad and continuing with your awesome support. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Hi, this is Daniel Roof, the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown. The postseason and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information, up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series and through the World Series. Don't forget, Bet Online is where you have the latest game odds, present totals for the NFL and college football, plus real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. Serious up betting on football. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at Bet Online, where the game starts.